How's it going, Internet? Thank you so much for listening. This is the Famous Dead People podcast, the only podcast that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I, as usual, am your host, Jared Berenstein, and on today's show we have got English author Rudyard Kipling and American actor Philip Seymour Hoffman. And as a special added bonus, at the very end of the episode, all three of us tried our hands at a Truman Capote impression, so stick around till the very, very end of the episode if you want to hear three comedians doing simultaneous Truman Capote voices. It's pretty cute. Uh, And if you want to check out the performers on this episode, you can check out Philip Seymour Hoffman on his Magnet Improv Team Thousand Foot Whale Claw or his Magnet Sketch Team Newport. You can check out Rudyard Kimpling on his Instagram at DFR247 and also his Tank Armory Sketch Team Above Ground Pool, which has its first show at the Tank on September 4th. And you know, for me, you know what the deal is, guys. You know that you can check out the freshest episodes of Famous Dead People every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. You know that you can hit us up at famousdeadpeopleatradiofreebrooklyn.org. You know to buy my book, The Kelly and Conway Technique. You know to rate and review the podcast. You know to tell your friends. You know to go to jarrettbarenstein.com for all the latest updates on upcoming projects and shows. And do you also know that new videos are coming out on my YouTube and my Instagram and my Facebook fan page every Tuesday? Did you know that, guys? Well, that's the fact. So check that shit out. Hit us up. And uh, I guess just enjoy the episode, everybody. We got Philip Seymour Hoffman and Richard Kipling only on Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. It's time. Famous Dead People. Time to start the show. Famous Dead People. Oh, you know, famous dead people, famous dead people, famous stories stuck in the head. Just gonna My guests today on Famous Dead People are 20th century American actor, director, and producer, best known for his distinctive character roles, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hello, happy to be here. And 19th century English journalist and novelist, famous for work such as The Jungle Book and The Man Who Would Be King, Joseph Rudyard Kipling. Oh, it's me, Roger Kipling. Uh, Mr. Kipling, Mr. Hoffman, thank you so much for being with us here today on Famous Dead People. Oh, Uh, jolly good then. uh, It's great to be part of the process. Uh, let's start off with you, uh, Rudyard Kipling. Uh, so you oui. were you were an extremely prolific writer in your long life. Your work is held in the highest regard all over the world. I want to start off by uh, by talking a little bit about the controversy surrounding your work, if I may. What you mean? People don't love me forever. It's just that you did write a somewhat controversial poem called The White Man's Burden, which is seems to be... Which at, I'm sure has aged gracefully. At face value, seems to be pro-imperialism, saying that uh, it is the white man's burden to go to underdeveloped countries and take them over to do them the favor of giving them our advanced, better white culture. Uh, lines like, quote, you, your new caught sullen peoples, people you're, you're catching, I guess, uh, half child, half devil, um, that seem to be suggesting that the people in these cultures are not as good or as white people, for example, or, you know, good being, you know, what do you call it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but others have said that it was meant to be ironic. And so well, I, I would was you going to say, have you never you heard of us? metaphors? <laughs> Do you read every poem and think, oh, yes, exactly what they're talking about? Well, oh, I think that this one's about where the sidewalk ends, and that's it, Ben. 
Wow, what a, what an example the uh, where the sidewalk ends. So yes, so you're saying that the poem is meant to be ironic, is well, meant to be a condemnation of imperialism. Is that what you're saying, Richard well, Kipling? I'm, I'm definitely for imperialism. Okay, <laughs> let's right. get something right off the bat. I think everything's about winning. Everything's about winning. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. All right, yes, yeah, so long as you're winning. Then everything's then it's all we're all okie dokie, you know. The, History is written by the victors. Have you ever played Risk? Have I ever played the game? Yes, I played Risk. The, yeah, the board no game. one's ever finished a game of Risk, but you've started it, and I'm sure you thought, okay, well, I'm not from uh, this place, you know, where all the people are green. Okay, I'm, but, I think I'm following you. But you want to conquer the whole world, then, right? Yes, in the game of risk, it is important that you conquer the entire what world. What if yes. Earth was risk then? Uh, well, I think that there's a difference between the game risk and the, well, world, and the actual world. I can understand where the confusion is. It's because mm-hmm. I said white man's. Okay. But I could have picked any other color. Oh, oh. And it could have all been about risk. Wait, so when you were talking about white man, were you specifically talking about the piece, the, the white, white pieces, pieces on, on a risk, risk board? board? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so so the white man's burden is about is about the burden of whoever wins risk. <laughs> it's be about it the you green character. You think I'm gonna finish this character. today? If you wrote if you wrote that about Monopoly, it would be like the shoes burden, yeah, or of course you'd be like the the and, thimbles burden. And how, how do you win that game again? How do you win Monopoly? By making when, all your friends mad. Yes, when you get everybody else's. You, you've played Monopoly before, right? Yeah, I've played Monopoly Hoffman? before. Yeah. It's quite a game. You played the hat. <laughs> That's true. Actually, uh, I was researching a role for that. Uh, I was uh, going to play a hat. You were going to play a hat. I was going to play a hat. Not specifically the Monopoly hat. Uh, well, you know, it was part of the process. You, mm-hmm. know. Okay. you know, you have to you study that. You, what you do is when you take over a role. You study the whole history of what hats are. You start with what a haberdashery is. You start with how to become a hat, where they begin, where they end. Some and by people, the some people start from the ground up. You say you got to dig. They start from the hat down. You got to go. <laughs> What'd you say? Start from the hat down. Yeah, you put the hat down, then you put you it back, back on, on again, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey. So I'm saying, like, so you know the the end result of Monopoly, then, like, you know. What what the goal is, right? I mean, I can tell you at the end of Monopoly, the hat gets hung up. The hat and gets hung up. Ooh, that's very poetic. That's I like crazy. That. Yeah, you went to jail, right, to study for the Monopoly movie. <laughs> that's true. I actually spent three years committing white collar crimes. Interesting, interesting. And so I'm I'm assuming that while you were in jail, you you did not pass go. You did not collect two hundred dollars. Uh, no, but I did uh, fillet a lot of lovers. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh boy! Wow! That's so this an is awful all... hard game of risk, then, isn't well, it? Well, you know, if you want to dive into the role there, Kipling. <laughs> all right, you don't just hold back. You don't just choose. All right, well, I'll take the. It's not a candy bar. You don't pick one candy. You take the fucking licorice. Wow. You take the fucking licorice, Kipling. Jesus. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I read. I'm sorry. I read about your process. On Wikipedia, you said, hey, acting is easy, but doing it good is hard. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, like so imperialism. <laughs> oh, we have so much in common then. Yeah. Well, just like going to jail. If I you do it well, it's hard. The difference between risk and real life, though, would be that, you know, the point of risk is to take over the entire world. The mm-hmm. point of monopoly is to bankrupt everybody else at the table. 
But the point of life should not be just being the dominant force of everybody else. Well, no, right? the game of life ends when you have a family full of like a bunch of kids in your car. That's a good point. I'm going to tell you point. this. The game of life ends the moment darkness is all you see. And you okay. just fill the void with nothing until you have nothing. Oh, boy, you're left. a real party trick, aren't you? Okay, so you are saying that hmm. the white man's burden was... Ironic, but you are pro-imperialism. You are saying that imperialism is a good thing, right? Well, I'm not saying it's ironic. I'm saying it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Okay. I don't quite understand irony. Ah, I I'm see. from London. Gotcha. So it is a we we mean it's figurative, but of course the message is yeah. is your morality. Is what oh, you're saying? I absolutely mean that it's a burden to win every country, mm -hmm. but you have to do it because it's then your responsibility to educate the lesser humans that you have conquered. Right, and there's other burdens too, like you have to always have your shoes tied. <laughs> uh, you have to keep up appearances, even if you don't want to come downstairs for dinner. This, these are additional white men's burdens. Is that what you're saying, or just additional burdens uh, for everybody? Yeah, anyway, or well, again, kind of non-specific. I'm just thinking about burdens then. Okay, so yeah. just any burdens. Yeah, uh, well, if you if you get crossed over on the court and someone just breaks your ankles. Oh, like when you're playing basketball. Of course, that is a burden. outside the school. That is a burden indeed. You know, I played basketball in the film Along Came Polly. I remember that oh scene. Oh my god, I forgot you were in that. From the trailer. Yeah, well, I didn't forget I was in that, <laughs> all right? What was your process like for that role? I forget what your part was in Along Came well, Polly. Well, I was playing the supportive, often considered wacky best friend to mm, Ben Stiller. Yes. And, uh, you sharded yourself. I remember that. I sharded myself indeed. It's, I sharded myself 14 times to make sure I got that right. And what was your what was your process for uh, feeling what a shart was like? Did um, you did you have to? Uh, oh, I tried all sorts of textures. Mm. I uh, you know obviously what sort of foods create different sort of reactions. You know what if I if I'm if my character wears boxers, which I thought at the time, but it's a different sensation if I wear a tight speed or a thong. That's right, because mm. the poo will just fall out of boxers. But if it's you like wearing a it's tiny a little bit whities. of a cheddar grater, a little bit. <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's move over to Philip Seymour Hoffman for just a moment. So you are obviously an extremely accomplished actor, uh, oh, David you, David you. Fear of the Rolling of Rolling Stone, not the Rolling Stones of Rolling Stone magazine said, uh, "quote No modern actor was better at making you feel sympathy for idiots, failures, degenerates, sad sacks, and hangdogs dealt a bum hand by life." Well, did he see any Adam Sandler movies? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Come you again, think, right now? You think that Adam Sandler was better at portray at, at making you feel sympathy for idiots, failures, degenerate, sad sex than Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, did, did he see the Water Boy? <laughs> A Water Boy. Try to tell me that Water Boy is better than Doubt. I don't know if it makes you feel the same sort of sympathy for the Water Boy. I think I think he becomes the comic hero, but I don't think you feel the same kind of empathy. Well, again, it's about a metaphor then. Everyone loves Gatorade in this society, but he is a staunch proponent for H2O. He liked water instead. I'm sorry. I'm just... <laughs> Look, Kathleen, we got, you're running wild with this metaphor thing that we know you know about. Well, let me ask you, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Of course, of course. So uh, how do you feel about that quote, though, about your career? Like, does that ring true? Do you feel that this was like your wheelhouse, the idiots, the failures, the degenerates, the sad sacks, that sort of thing? Oh, look, I mean, you play what you know a little bit, and mm. you get lost into a role, and at some point, I, I, and I, I, was, a, I was a pretty handsome fellow in high school, but uh, to play the roles that I could best achieve, I, uh, I became a loser. You became a loser? Yeah. So you, be, you, you sort of like did method 
for doing the kind of roles that you thought yeah, you were casting. Yeah, in life it was sort of a thing like uh, I I went from someone in high school and college that objectively was popular. I played a lot of sports. I had a lot of sex mm. and I uh, I stopped doing that only to play parts, not not because of anything else. Okay. Well, that's an incredible commitment to your craft and I commend you for that. It's okay. what I would expect from from the work that I've seen. It's well, stellar. I mean, the, the sexual high I get from playing a part is higher than any climax I ever experienced. It's a sexual high is what you're looking for. There's no gratif- there's no gratification of a job well done. It's purely sexual. I mean, saying. I could throw every award away in a heartbeat if I could just feel the rush of <laughs> what I got from perfect being fully lost in a role. If it would give you those uh, mind-blowing Orgasms. There's a reason most of my shots, you know, you watch this on my films, you can see that most of the shots are above the waist because the whole time I am fully erect. You're just rock hard the entire time. That's very true. Interesting. Sorry, what were you going to say, Ryan? I was going to say, is it sort of the same visual experience, but you kind of answered it then. Like if everyone on set is just watching you, uh, you know, feel good, as we say in London. Uh, <laughs> It's not the only place they say that. It's the only time so you ever London, feel good. You wouldn't say, like, he has a boner, he has erection. No, he's say, feeling good. He's feeling good. It's a good. new dawn, it's a new day. He's hey, feeling good. He's feeling good, if you know what I mean. That's a Michael Blaine. <laughs> the other day I it. had a bird back in my flat, and I, I couldn't feel <laughs> Are you from London as well? I'm John? sorry, I'm having a tough time. Which one's Rudyard Kipling again? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like, so for example, a person yeah, in England would say... I had a bird back at my flat, but sure. I couldn't feel good because I had too much to drink that night. Right. Or I was thinking too hard about all of the <laughs> burdens I've got. <laughs> mm, that uh, is Roger, fair. I had to point this out right now, but you're fully erect. Mm. I was, I Wait a minute. That. Do all three of us have boners right now? Oh, I assumed all oh, that's people what did I'm... on the radio. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought I was touching the leg of the table. I got one when we were talking about risk because <laughs> I just feel that way about board games. I don't know when you guys Mine's got your Mine's about boners. metaphor. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty clearly established. Yeah. I was thinking about the male nurse I played at Magnolia. Mm. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. That one, too. Um, I have a deep career. Now, (laughs) Philip Seymour Hoffman, you did not always, of course, play degenerates or idiots. Uh, You played Truman Capote. You played in Mission Impossible 3. You played a very successful, I think, arms dealer slash terrorist. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be me remembering (laughs) you were in movies. (laughs) Look, honestly, I could go safely for a good five to ten minutes listing what movies I've been in. Yeah, you got a very impressive IMDb. But, I mean, how then do you take this sort of, like, greater... I guess you would call it a super objective of being a failure in your life in order to portray good failures. But additionally, you are playing people who are powerful, who are not failures. Well, that's called acting, Jared. Mm. Sometimes you break away from what you know. I see. I see. Okay. I guess that well, it's all part of the same a Dude, delicate way like of the research acting. for Mission Impossible Three. I beat up Tom Cruise Wait, every what? day. Yeah, you every beat day. Him up? Every way I went to his home, I put on a ski mask. I broke in and I just beat the crap out of him. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. He, every time Wait, I did, he know that you were the one who was doing it because you said you were in a ski mask. I mean, I wore a ski mask, but every time it was like, "Why are you doing this? I'm the chief. I'm the chief guy of Scientology." <laughs> I think he <laughs> That's thought what he would yell. Yeah, every time, every time I broke in to beat him up, he just thought I was another Scientologist. Well, he's pretty physically imposing then too, so you're pretty powerful. Uh, how mean, tiny are you? I mean, he's an immaculate shape, but he is a short man. He is a short man. He's a little short. Wolverine-ish. It's if all you will. yeah, it's all compact, Very short and thick. Yeah, though. he doesn't know how to wrestle though, and I wrestled <laughs> in high school. Mm. It's okay. real easy. You grab by the thighs and just tickle them with the balls. Do all actors sort of uh, 
ruin their lives <laughs> by portraying one thing over and over. All the good actors do, oh, yeah. Man. If you care oh. about your craft, then you really you care do. about so, your craft, not so, like fucking no. Adam. You, you think fucking and Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler, the top two, I guess, actors. This is you. Oh, no, no, stop, stop, shut, 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 shut up, shut up, shut, shut, shut up. You so, think oh. Adam Sandler? It's a good actor. Now, hold on a hold second. On. Hold on a second, Mr. Hoffman. It Am I is... peaking your mic? No, no, you're doing fine. It's just that I think that it's okay if somebody thinks that Adam Sandler is their second best well, no, fa- one. favorite actor. Is he your favorite actor, Adam oh, Sandler? Well, I feel like he's the best at portraying losers, no nuts, <laughs> and, and dummies. I, just... I mean, he famously did that in yeah. the film Punch Drunk Love, mm-hmm. but I hate him so much, I'd only do a scene with him if I was on the phone with him. Which I wouldn't be in place with that You Graydon. hated Adam Sandler. You 100%. hated him. 100%. That was off script. When I told him to go fuck himself, I told him because I felt that. I was supposed to say goodbye on the phone, and it became a four-minute monologue. Wow. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Famous Dead People on Radio Free <laughs> Sorry Brooklyn. for your ears. And uh, my guests today are 19th century English novelist and Adam Sandler fan, Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, I love him! And 20th century American actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I talk soft and loud, and uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, no, you were, I, I had your levels under control. I think that's gonna sound good. I'll, I'll check it out later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm just surprised to hear that you, you hated Adam Sandler so much, and I guess that, that was a Paul Thomas Anderson film, right? Yeah, Paul Punch Thomas Anderson, one of the great directors of our time. Yeah, and so he was just like looking at the script, and you're just going off on Adam Sandler, and uh, and he's like, "Well, I think this is the new yeah. direction that that our that our film's going to take here." Is yeah. it because you fear him? Wait, what? Is it because you fear his talent? Oh, yeah, good question. Wait, you think it's you, you think it's because I fear Adam Sandler? You mean maybe? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, the man's vacations become Netflix movies. I fear that man. <laughs> I mean, but he he has a lot of time on his hand to like work out. You know, he plays basketball. Mm. You know, I mean, oh, he plays basketball just like I did in the film Along Came Polly. That's right. Which oh. I will go on record and saying possibly my greatest movie was Along Came Polly. We have oh. so I have a lot. So we to do say agree on this. something. <laughs> Uh, let's go back over to uh, Richard Kipling for a moment. I do have a lot of questions about some of your other roles, but we'll, we'll get to that. No, in no, a it's a 50 50 split. I'm here with Kipling's time. I am not imposing. Uh, so you were born, Richard Kipling, in 1865 in Bombay during the British occupation of India. You were five years old uh, when you were sent back to England to live with a foster family. This was a mm. thing that. Uh, that British people living abroad would do. They would just send their children back right. to live with a random family in England. They uh, call it the good luck ship. The good luck ship? Yeah, they say, good luck, and put you on a ship. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. That, that's what they called it? Well, have you ever seen the movie The Jerk? I have seen the movie The Jerk. I, I yeah. thought I was born a poor Indian child. <laughs> You thought you were born a poor Indian child mm-hmm. because you were born in Bombay yes. to your parents. Your parents were there in oh, India for with sure. you. <laughs> And your parents, of course, of English descent as yeah. well. Yeah. But you still, you were looking around. I was like, well, here I am in Bombay. I guess I'm an Indian child. I'm five. You know? Okay. So then how did you feel then being shipped off to to London to be raised by a British family? Were you like, oh my God, what a weird thing for an Indian child to experience? I thought it was, I thought it was strange, but I was like, okay, well, we're going to colonize England then. As Wait, it, what? You uh, thought that you were going to go colonize England? Yeah. You were the first wave of troops to go colonize England. Yeah, I figured I was young, but I was ready. A five-year-old child. Five years old. <laughs> five years old. 
I was small, but I was compact. I was thick like Tom Cruise. Oh, I see. Okay. Could you even carry a gun? Carry two guns. I got two arms in, don't I? All right. Mm-hmm. Fuck That's out. very impressive. Uh, so, yeah. So, I got on my good luck shift with two guns. Okay, all right. Ready to all right. Let's do it. And uh, and you arrive. Your foster family, according to your autobiography, they say that you tr- they treated you horribly in your autobiography. Mm, yeah. uh, but the Wikipedia doesn't say anything besides this one complaint that you had about them. Um, and I'm assuming that you probably got off on the wrong foot because you show up with two well, guns. Well, first of all, they took away my guns. Oh, yes. That's very upsetting. And I said, well, that, uh, that's mine then. They did not listen to my protests. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put so them up very high where I could not climb and get them. Strike one yeah. on this uh, foster family of yours. Uh, but the only other thing they said was that um, they would grill you every night when you were trying to go to sleep about what you had done that day. And if you got anything, if anything you said didn't make sense or if you contradicted yourself at all, uh, they would say that you were lying and they would punish you for lying. Um, what a weird form of torture then, though, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, I mean... Have you ever met a child, is what I would say. Even <laughs> as a kid, I was like, you know, we just make shit up all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's also hard for a child to articulate sometimes. Right. I here you were knowing you were five. <laughs> <laughs> did you not know you were five when you were five? Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, you... I was so lost in the role of being a five-year-old, I wasn't aware that I was five. Gotcha. You were in it. Yeah, but also, I respect the performance of it. You know, this feels very similar to your character in Synecdoche, who was acting, but also aware that he was acting at the same time. Yeah, the whole movie was awfully ambitious, and mm, I kind of got lost. It very much was. And if you haven't seen Synecdoche and you're listening to this, and you want a very challenging movie, then I would say go see Synecdoche. It's, yeah, it's been on my friend Brennan Goggins' Netflix queue, <laughs> and he hasn't watched it yet. Because he probably knows it's a marathon. Because he it's knows. A- it's, it's like, not a pick-me-up for the end of a work That day. is putting your brain on a treadmill, basically. It's difficult. It's like being raised by Rudyard right. Kipling's of foster course. family. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Although, you remember when Netflix used to give out, like, DVDs and streaming wasn't That's happening? Right. Yeah. And you'd be uh, like, yeah. oh, great, now Schindler's List is at my house. I can't send it back. It's just going to stay here until right. I watch it. Oh, beans, I would say, <laughs> when I open that mail. Oh, bother. Were there any other things that your foster family did that you thought were torture besides being grilled and being accused of lying and also having your guns taken away because you were trying to colonize England? Sure. They said, first of all, you're not going to do that. You're not going to colonize England. And I said, "You, me and my army, but they never showed up. (laughs) <laughs> so they literally ask you, you and what army? Yeah, and, and you I responded said, with me, me and my army. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was clear. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt you were five, but that's fucking stupid. <laughs> I would also, uh, it doesn't work on radio, but I would hold up all, all five of my fingers and I'd say, I'm this many. Oh, okay. And they would be like, well, how many is that? Is that five or is that more? And I'd be like, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> Wait, were you attacking people that didn't know how to count? <laughs> so, so, so. Uh, uh, that seems like an unfair. He didn't know the word for what he was, but they, he knew that he was this many. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, they'd um, they'd grab my nose and hold mm-hmm. it hostage. Oh yeah, the old got your nose trick. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that is awful, and I cannot believe that adults still to this day do that. Of course, there it, should be a law. There should be. Every a law. day I woke up without a beard, they they'd <laughs> scream, "Beardless boy, unshaven heathen." Go back upstairs. Now, see, that one feels weird because a child should not be able to grow a beard, I think. I grew a beard for my parts. (laughs) 
When I was five, I was dedicated to playing part of five years old, so I grew a beard. But five-year-olds don't have a beard, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I grew a beard. <laughs> so you chose to give your character a beard. Yeah. It wasn't required. Yeah, I took hormone shots to increase the pro- process of puberty so I could grow a beard. Oh, gotcha. I see. That's you know what the product I was doing hymns? wrong. You know the product hymns? That's basically what I did at five. Yeah, oh, the product hymns. Yeah. S- sponsored by. This sponsored is, by him. This would actually be an excellent time to bring up my sponsorship with hymns. Mm. Uh, Forhims.com. If, if you have a sponsorship with hymns, I was fully unaware of it, but it sounds like you don't. <laughs> Uh, com. We're a very popular uh, uh, radio show and podcast. We have a lot of sponsors. Yeah, uh, so, impressive. yeah, let me just do this ad copy real quick for For Him. For Hims.com uh, if you need boner pills or if you are balding and you want medicine to stop that. For Hims.com. Is that copy written by somebody's uncle? No, that was, that's, <laughs> no, that's I'm just reading it literally. That's Hims. All right. <laughs> you can tell that um, this podcast makes a lot of money because we're all sitting on golden chairs. That's right. Yeah, I, did you guys like those? I brought them in special. I thought that was nice. The studio nice. does not have these, but I like to bring them in for my That'd guests. That'd be very heavy to bring in. Wow, yeah, so that's incredible. So, uh, Ritter Kipling, these people were torturing you. They were yelling at you for not being able to grow a beard mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, and so you said that you were writing as an escape to this torture. Is that right? Well, I would write down all of the true things that happened to me that day. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the day, I'd try to show it to them. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, say it. They- <laughs> They'd okay. take the paper from me and they'd say, go on. And did say you it. say it? Did you then say it? I tried. It? It's hard to remember things, isn't it? You're not remembering. You're reading right. the things that you wrote. No, but they would take the paper oh. and they'd eat it. Oh, I see. They'd crumple it up into a little ball and they'd say, tasty word soup. It's a little now bit like. say it. <laughs> it's a little bit like if you say, you know, like uh, like the guy who invented Mormonism. What's his name? Uh, Joseph Smith. Yeah, Joseph Smith. He said that he t- would translate these gold plates and uh, he and then, wrote down the translation. Then people took the translation from him and said, well, well, if you're so good at it, then translate it again. And he was like, well, God is angry at you for testing me like this, so he's going to change the words slightly. Right, uh, and that's why so- I came up with the religion imperialism. <laughs> I mean, that's a little, it's a little A to C, I think. But, I mean, uh, I was going to say it was similar to my film, The Master, but. Ooh, yeah, well, that is, oh, oh, there are, there's a lot of crossed wires here. Uh, we're going to have to take a break pretty shortly, but let's go back over to Philip Seymour for just a moment. I do want to oh. talk about The Master, but let's talk a little bit about your early life first. Yeah. Uh, so you were born in Rochester, New York, yeah. 1967. Uh, 1967, yeah. Uh, you had a passion for sports. Yeah. Uh, big but, old jock, big but, old jock on the field. But when you were 12 years old, you saw a production of Arthur Miller's All My Sons. You were transfixed and you developed an unparalleled enthusiasm for theater and acting. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that was where the sea was planted, not going to lie. It was a crush on a girl that got me in high school but Ooh, uh, wait so it wasn't the play it was the crush I mean, it was the, it both or? it was a little of both i mean uh, you know it's a yin and yang situation mm, you know gotcha. uh, one gets the other but uh well tell us about that play because i haven't seen all my sons what what was the play about and what was it that well, i only had you daughters jared so much what i only had daughters you the I person i don't have sons but i, I mean daughters well the show that sorry i was you... lost in the role of father that's okay. I you sit you sit, a, you sit a, uh, an artistic genius down. Sometimes it's going to get a little lost in the craft. That is what I've come to know from doing over 130 episodes of Famous Dead That's People. That's very fair. Uh, it's crazy how big your eyes get when you, when you have it a roll. <laughs> Almost Powerpuff Girl size. Oh wait, what? Wait, this is me. That no, we're about? no. Philip Seymour Hoffman's yeah. eyes go oh, yeah. all white. And huge. Yeah, yeah doctors yeah. have told me when I get lost in a roll, it's as if someone who is starving is seeing food. I've also noticed that it's you like cry. It's like a shock. 
It's like a shark. I've also there's that. Are you familiar cry. with the programming of Shark Week? Oh uh, yeah, I know about Shark Week. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it's it's a lot be. of fun. Love to gather around, Something sit on my golden chair and watch I, sharks. I have. We should definitely watch uh, some Shark Week. Yeah, that'd be fun. When we that'd go to fun. break. But I've also noticed that you cry like a like an anime character, like it's just a steady stream. <laughs> Uh, almost like a hose connected to your two eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, when I was studying the part of playing uh, a guy that likes anime, I really mm. dived in. Gotcha. Uh, I, I, don't, to... I, I no longer cry by uh, traditional whimpering, but now say, wah. And then it just pours out of your face like a spigot. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, see, I have to I have to that that anime character had to have been happiness. I have to imagine that that guy was into uh, uh, to anime. Uh, but before we go to break, I really want to hear about this play, All My Sons. All My Sons, yeah. By Arthur Miller. It struck you. It transfixed you. Tell us what was the show about, and what was it that so caught your attention? Well, All My Sons, as any theater uh, goer will know, is about uh, a bunch of boys and. Uh, that was fun. It's like I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're transfixed. We are sitting here. My transfixed. eyes are huge, fully white, and I'm crying like Naruto. Gotcha. So you're saying so? The show is about boys. It's about a couple. Yeah, it's about a bunch of bunch of boys. Bunch of, bunch, of, uh, bunch of bunch of boys fighting each other, and by the end, they all say, "Well, let's start eating the youngest." Yeah, yeah. that sounds. That does sound incredible. That does that sound it, like the kind of show that if you were watching, it would be like, I want to dedicate my life to the theater. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, that's the human condition right there. Mm, just a bunch of boys running around. Eating each other. Trapped you know? on an island. <laughs> one of them's the Lord. And one, Ooh, and one's okay. a fly and the other's a pig. You know? Yeah, and then they just invent their own kind of society. Right. Yeah. It devolves. Uh, and that's definitely what All My Sons was about. It's about this Lord of Flies that's going around. Oh, wow. I mean, even if it's not what it's about, it has to be the subtext. You know, like, like, a, like I a, mean, like everything subtext, Jared. That's a classic oh, metaphor. That's a classic metaphor. That's a, that's a spot-on metaphor, Jared. That's pretty great. Now, we have got to take a short break, unfortunately, but we'll be right back. We'll get into all these metaphors with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Rudyard Kipling on Famous Dead People. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts, rate us five stars, leave a comment, tell your friends, all that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us, whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also, check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out JaredBarrenson.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are 19th century English journalist and novelist, famous 
for works such as The Jungle Book and The Man Who Would Be King, Joseph Rudyard Kipling. Hello, governor. And 20th century American actor, director, and producer best known for his distinctive character roles, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Watch the films The Hunger Games. Uh, ooh, yeah. It, it, Can't it, you it, that Rudyard Kipling just really being stunned. I, I think I remembered Capote. Okay. And that's it. That's it. Oh, Capote is what I got my thought. Oscar well, for. Well, I was just thinking about writers. About writers? Mm-hmm. Oh, writers. Well, Capote yeah. was a devilish guy to play. That was yes. that was true. Was Wait, true. Capote was a devilish man to play is what you're saying. Well, I mean, he was a little wild. I mean, I mean, I don't usually do this because it was such a traumatic thing to go through. But whenever I was Capote, it would always just sort of take over a little bit because he wanted the attention. And I don't like bringing him out because, you know, it's just like, well, I'm here and you're going to talk about it. I mean, I know it is difficult to sort of like relive relive those parts. Yeah, I mean, sorry. it's probably traumatic just even to hear it yeah. like, from another person. It's traumatic yeah. for us to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I could see you were in physical pain over there, Rudyard. I was uh, like writhing on the floor, just beating my chest. Let's uh, go back over to Rudyard Kipling for just a moment. Yee! So when you're uh, so excited <laughs> about getting this next question, uh, so when you're 16 years old, you've moved back to India. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a job as the assistant editor of a local newspaper, and you begin writing at a feverish pace. And uh, people are talking about how much you're writing, how prolific you are, but they're also talking about how just like you, you just kind of drench yourself with ink How as you're writing. You're like, yeah, you really were. Uh, they say that you would throw the contents of your pen all over the office, so it was almost dangerous to approach you, and also that you would end up so ink spattered that you looked like a Dalmatian. Are these accounts of your method as a writer accurate? That you would just get ink everywhere? Well, it's actually sort of the opposite. Then I was trying to paint, and I accidentally <laughs> would be writing. <laughs> I recently learned about this guy Jackson Pollock and I said, well, that's what I was fucking was trying to do. That was kind of what you were trying to do. On my clothes and yeah. office and accidentally I would be writing like man catches a very large trout in <laughs> film at 11. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you've seen the news. You know, when they report on when someone catches a very big fish. Yes. Okay, uh, and th- this no, is maybe in a small town. Sure. You were you were working at a newspaper, so of course the things you were writing were news items. L- local, like again, man catches com- big fish. Completely by accident. I see. People and- be like, "Wow, he's writing so many good newses." Some of them don't make sense. Sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Monkeys at a typewriter. Monkeys at a typewriter. That sort of thing. Which was my office mate. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Well, I would be in one cubicle. My other cubicle would be a bunch of monkeys in a typewriter. Interesting. This and- newspaper had a strange business model. I mean, it makes sense if you have pages to fill. You know, content is king, as they say. All right, well, t- well, tell me this. How many articles did you write versus the monkeys? Ooh, good question. Legible or otherwise? Well, that went to print, but I mean, at this point, I'm everything curious on both Everything went to numbers. print, honey. <laughs> everything? Everything went to print. Are you telling me everything went to print? People would open up on newspaper and they'd say, oh, boy, here we go again. This is a real monkey-heavy yeah, issue just... here. <laughs> I mean, are you sure you're working for a print or you weren't working a 90s sitcom? Uh, it, it makes sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. you got pages to fill every day. Because they back then, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're forgetting that they had a morning edition, an afternoon edition, an evening edition. You're right. You're you know, right. I didn't do my research. Of pages to fill. But like, what percentage wise? Like, if you, we're talking about like we we collect all the newspapers from mm-hmm. when you worked, what percentage of those pages are filled with Rudyard Kipling 
trying to paint and accidentally writing articles versus monkeys at a typewriter. I would say it's about a 50-50 split. At 50-50. Okay, it's, that makes sense. And I keep being like, here's my painting. You want to put that in the newspaper? And they're like, no, 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 no. But here's another big bottle of ink. Did you, you ever try to do anything with your art, with the ink splattered all over yourself or all over the room or all over anybody who approached you while you were writing? Yeah, it, well, people would be scared because I'd be like, look at me. I'm out. <laughs> Try to rent out performance you know, spaces, little black boxes in a basement and charge my friends about. too much money. Okay. No one's coming if they don't know me. You know, that kind of situation. So right. it's basically your friends and they're yeah, like, they, oh, this is great. Like, oh, we're we love begrudgingly this. here. Oh, yeah, I know the feeling exactly. I used to do the same thing in Greenwich Village for oh, years. Oh, when you were a struggling actor, Phil. Yeah, too, yeah. well, I stayed in Greenwich Village for the remainder of my life. You know? Well, let's talk a little bit about that. This is so, a good segue because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about your early... Uh, work as an actor. You attended Tisch. I did for yeah. acting. After graduating, you worked in off-Broadway theater and made additional money with customer service jobs. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds very similar to my friend Dominic Russo, actually, as you describe. <laughs> That sounds like all details that have to be true about my friend Dominic Russo. I can Russo. feel as if someone very far away is hurt deeply. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't pinpoint why. Uh, yeah, these are real These are real shots in the dark. This but is, It's as if every graduate from NYU has this exact same path. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, that's... You, yeah, I'm not original. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm, another artist trying to do his thing. I mean, Just that, like Dominic Russo is an admirable artist trying to do his thing. Would be great if we could then think, hey, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman goes on to have this incredible career in theater, surely then everybody who goes to Tisch and then gets customer service jobs will I have an incredible say, career I am responsible in for so many frustrated post-Tisch graduates. Really? Because people looked at me for inspiration and I let them down. And I am the reason they are frauds. Oh, I disagree, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think that if you inspire somebody to try to go for their art, I think that makes you a success. Would yeah. you Would you agree, Rudolph oh, Kipling? Sure. I would think at least you've inspired someone to, like, if they had to go to NYU and couldn't really afford it, mm. they could tell their mom, look who graduated from here. Surely I will have the same power. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to get that painfully specific story, Rudy. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. It's, it's a metaphor. <laughs> of course, another metaphor. Rudy, you're, you're incredible at them. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about these customer service jobs that you had. Yeah, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. What were your survival jobs? Because the, uh, the Wikipedia says you worked at a deli at some point, but it doesn't mention anything else. Was it just... The deli that you worked at the entire time, or did you have other? I mean, I had a lot jobs of jobs, well. but I worked at that deli for a while. Okay. It was a peculiar deli. I, uh, I, uh, I was in charge of putting just tomato slices on sandwiches. Just tomato slices. Yeah. I'm assuming it was like a factory line, like a Henry no, Ford style. No, no. There was one guy that made most of the sandwich, and when it came time for me to put a slice on, I would do it. Because the gentleman that you were working with had some sort of tomato allergy. No, I just asked for that job. Did you kiss every tomato before you put it on? No, it's, we get shut what? down by the health department. What a well, weird like, question, Rudyard. I wow, you're like... fucked up, Kipling. <laughs> you're fucked up. You think you can fuck with me right now? This is how I made my living. 
I put tomato slices why, on sandwiches. Why, Rudyard, would you think that he would kiss every tomato slice before putting You're it on? You're a fucking moron. And you have no place in this institution. All right, Philip Seymour right, Hoffman, yeah. let's take it down a notch. Sorry. Oh, the award have, goes I have, to. I have, I, have uh, I have interviews and I have Oscar moments and I don't have too much in between. I understand. Uh, so, yeah, well, why would just, you think that he would kiss every slice tomato? My first visual is that he's putting each one to bed. You know, he's making a little sandwich I mean, bed yeah, for this individual him in. tomato. I tuck him in with a little sheet of lettuce, all right? If I would have had the gall to touch the lettuce, I would have tucked it in and read it a little story, but we had a lot of sandwiches to make, Kipling. So most of these sandwiches are almost done. They're 80%, 90% done. You put the tomato in and you say, all right, tomato, off, yeah. off to dreamland. <laughs> off to dreamland. Here's your good luck okay. ship then. <laughs> yeah. Have a good time. <laughs> Get your little tomato boner. Yeah, um, I mean, I use that for the inspiration to play the butler in Big Lebowski. Ooh, that's right. Wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding it fascinating how many connections we are having to roles that you played yeah. and life experiences. Well, it was uh, part of the butler's story that I would tuck in the greater Lebowski over and over again. So I just. He, yeah, because he couldn't use his legs. Every of one of those tomatoes was the big Lebowski for me. Mm, so, yes, uh, I don't understand why a deli would hire a <laughs> tomato person. It seems like extra overhead for no reason. That's yeah, life well, in the big apple, baby. <laughs> I mean, that's the short of it, yeah. <laughs> that's just the Big Apple. I mean, that's that. And, that's you know, just may, the Big Apple. And maybe the deli owner owed me, owed me a few favors, and uh, mm. I needed to get some research done. Before we move on, any other customer service jobs that you had that you want to mention while while we're on the topic? Oh, yeah. I uh, I worked at a Gap for a while. Ooh, fun. Okay. You were selling on the sales floor? Uh, yeah. Helping people I mean, with I their was, khakis? I was stocking a while, and uh, I was mainly their sweater model. Sweater model? Yeah. Interesting. They, uh, they thought I looked cozy in a sweater. Mm. You do seem like the kind of guy that would, you know, I see you in a sweater, and I think I want to curl up at home in front of a fire mm. with a good book. Well, I don't want to get personal, but uh, I've, if you want to count the times I've had sex in my life, it's... Uh, we do. <laughs> it's zero. But you want, but if you count the amount of times I've what? cuddled, if you count the amount of times I've cuddled, astronomical. Wow, a lot of cuddling. You're the Wilt Chamberlain of cuddling, then. That's Interesting. right. Interesting. And never had sex. No, I mean, in high school, I fooled around a bunch, but once I wanted to play a loser sad sack, just leaned in. That's interesting. So I, I think I thought you had children, though. Well, I did, yeah. I mean, they were, uh, they were. I mean, they weren't my biological kids. Oh, okay. But my partner at the time, then girlfriend, later wife, would, uh, well, wanted to have kids, so we did artificial insemination. Interesting. We call that cuddle babies. That's true. <laughs> That's actually my uh, second so, daughter's middle name. Cuddle baby. Mm. Fun hyphenated. Sasha Cuddle Baby Hoffman. Let's move back over to Richard Kipling for just a moment. Whee! So it's uh, really getting a kick out of these questions. <laughs> In uh, 1889, you leave the paper that you were working for in India after a dispute. Hmm. Uh, the paper does not say, the, the Wikipedia does not say what the dispute was. Would you care to elucidate us? I came into the office fully nude, covered in ink. Okay. And they were like... <laughs> and they said, I dispute this. <laughs> that was a direct response. I dispute this. And I said, I'm going to roll the newspaper term, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. They say... If, if, All right, it's so on me. I hand the research. They, All they, right. They, if I dispute it's the opposite this, of pute. It's not my role to play. I dispute this. It's like it's sort of like calling shenanigans. It's like mm. I dispute this. It's which, like a big deal. Which they also did call shenanigans. Oh, did they? Yeah, they said I dispute this. I call shenanigans. Oh wow. And I uh, I call your bet, sir. Ooh. And wow. I said, all right. 
It's well, all three. That means not only are you fired, but you got to get out of the country. Which I feel like which I might did. have. <laughs> you did. I love to be right. <laughs> you travel the world. You eventually make your way to New York where you show up unannounced at the house of Mark Twain. Is that right? Right. I thought he wanted someone who just put tomatoes on sandwiches. I wanted to check in. Wait, so you thought... I said, it's a big apple, baby. Because <laughs> you were in New York. Mm. Of course. That makes sense. You go to New York. Everybody needs someone to put tomatoes in their sandwiches. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, I read in the Wikipedia that looking back on this incident, you were like, I can't believe I just showed up at Mark Twain's house. But I, I read that it ended up going pretty well. Is that right? Right. Well, first of all, I had my two guns. <laughs> you still, you got your guns back. Well, I'm I'm colonizing America. You got your guns back from your foster family, or these two new guns? These are two new, better guns, Ooh. covered in ink, <laughs> just piss covered in ink. So you think you're going to to colonize America? I'm gonna start with the famous funny man with Mark Twain. You're yeah. starting with Mark Twain's house. Yeah. Okay, so then tell us how this interaction goes. Tell us how. Well, that I came in and first of all, he took both my guns. And I said, wait, those are mine then. He put them up somewhere very high where I could not climb and get them. And he said, why don't you sit down and we can just talk? <laughs> still, still, that is your Achilles heel, is somebody just taking your guns and putting them in a high place. Well, it's not very polite. It is not very polite. That's an excellent point. But so then you guys you guys have a nice little chat about, about writing, yeah. about novels. He said, you know what you're doing with the ink splatters? Mm. You could be doing that on purpose. And I said, what? You go on. He said, yeah, look, and he showed me how to write. Uh, he showed you how to write. Right. <laughs> I've never done it before. So at that point, did the ink blots all over the place stop now that Mark Twain had taught you the correct way to write? Well, now it's just a passion. Oh, gotcha. Now it's, it's no longer a job. Fun. Yeah. The writing is the job. The ink right. blots is what you do to express yourself. It's, it's, how, it's, how I like, it's how I feel good, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. It, it, in, it's the, a, in the British sense. It's, oh, gotcha. Oh, now and I'm the Hoffman sense. There are all of our boners again. How about that? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Just like a sunrise. <laughs> so a couple of years later, uh, this would happen to you, though. Like when you became a successful author, uh, you were just at home, mm. and one day the... Uh, the the man behind Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, just showed up mm -hmm. at your home and spent a few days there. Is that right? Yeah. And first thing I did was I took his guns. He had guns. Yes. So you were at your home in Vermont. Mm -hmm. You were living in America at the time. This British guy, Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, comes over with guns to colonize America. Yeah. I heard the familiar tap of two guns on the front door. And I said, uh-oh. hello. He I, said, I remember this from the other side. <laughs> I said, well, now I know, right? Fool me twice. That's two times you fooled me, but you're not going to fool me a third time. Uh, so I took his guns. I put them very high where I couldn't climb and get them. Mm -hmm. uh, he, of course, said, well, those are mine then. Mm -hmm. And we got right through it. I and said, then you started talking about writing. And I said, you, you know, all because he, not it wouldn't be ink splatters. He would just shit in his hand and rub it on stuff. Sure, oh, Arthur Jesus. Conan Doyle. Like, like a monkey. Jesus. And I said, what you, what you making? Is some sort of a jungle book then? And then my eyes got real big. <laughs> I, I said, you have to get out. You have to get started crying like Naruto. I said, I started crying and running like Naruto all around my house, arms backward. Oh, my goodness. Uh, getting maximum acceleration. I have heard that that is what writers do when they get inspired, is they start crying like Naruto, Naruto. and they start running with their arms dra dragged behind yeah. them. Uh, that's fascinating. I'd love to hear about other authors that you maybe had this experience with, mm -hmm. but I want to go back over to uh, 
to Seymour Hoffman for just a moment. If you're yeah. just joining us, you're listening to Famous Ted People on Radio Free Brooklyn. And my guests today are 20th century American actor Philip Seymour Hoffman. Acting. And 19th century English novelist Rudyard Kipling. Pooping in your hand. Uh, so let's talk about your first great success. Yeah. Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman, you made your screen debut in 1991 in a Law and Order episode called The Violence of Summer. Well, I mean, you can't be an actor in New York unless you're on at least one episode of Law and Order. That is true. Say, you know? That is true. It's it's on everybody's uh, playbill in their little bio section. Oh, yeah. Just 100 yeah. Law & Order episodes. Uh, tell, can you tell us about that episode, what it was about, what your role was? Uh, I was a guy that ate someone's face. You ate a face. Yeah. The violence of summer. Yeah, that was the violence of summer. What they didn't talk about is the fake faces they gave us to eat. Mm -hmm. Really tasty. Really? Yeah. Do you know what they were made of? Faces. <laughs> Human faces? Was it human faces? I don't want to know. Man? I don't want to know, but so I'm pretty sure they were. So the fake faces were made out of real faces. Yeah. They took a real face, they ground it up. And they and made it look like a real face. They made it into a face, they, they constructed it into a face. Okay, yeah, the, 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 what they do in the arts yeah. and the markup department is very impressive. Of course, yeah. I'm sure but you those were 100% real human faces at You had point. to get there early in the day. Law and order doesn't fuck around. That's right. Uh, was this a positive experience for you? You're, you're filming, you play this cannibal who eats faces. Well, you know, outside the uh, acquired taste for human flesh, it was uh, it was a big get for me. You know, it started to segue a lot more and more roles, and I wasn't mm -hmm. just doing theater all the time, and a little more money in the bank, which is nice. That is nice, of course. Um, now, according to a People magazine survey of Twitter and Facebook users, the movie, the role that you are most associated with is the movie Twister, where you play <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dustin, Dustin Davis, a hyperactive storm chaser. And I can think of a number of performances that you should be better known for. I mean, I've talked for days about my supporting role in Scent of a Woman. Yeah, Scent of a Woman uh, it was an incredible role. Uh, Magnolia, anything by Paul Thomas Anderson, of but course. People think about Twister. I Why can't name. Twister? Why do you think Twister is the thing that sticks and creeps? You know, crop? you know, Jared. It's kind of hard to get a get a get a sense about. You know, uh, you think people would have a better idea of who you are. Mm. Uh, I was in that movie. I can't name anyone else who was in it. You don't know anybody else who's in Twister? I know maybe Bill Paxton. I think it was Bill Paxton. My, yeah. But it was a Bill, uh, I mixed him up with Bill Pullman. Uh, yeah, I can't, I honestly can't remember sitting here right now. It wasn't Costner, but it was someone that would read for a Costner part. Mm, gotcha. but, the, but you know, without a doubt, I, I, I'm your manic best friend, all right? Uh, uh, and it was an easy transfer. I mean, the same sort of hyper I got about uh, acting, I just what if it was Frog Twisters and boom, right there, there I was. That's Stanislavski, I think, right? Mm -hmm. It's that you just take what you feel about X and you just put it in about Y, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I, that hey, you don't need to go to School of Arts to know that one. Yeah, okay. So but you need to go to School of Arts to master it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hands close to the mic as possible to reiterate that you need to study the Tisch School of Arts if you want to be an actor. All right, yeah. You are not a serious actor, says Phil Seymour Hoffman. You will not be successful unless you go to Tish. Is that yeah. right? Or if you give me three thousand dollars in the blank <laughs> envelope. Wow. Either is... or. So you can just bribe Philip Seymour Hoffman to be a successful actor. No, 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 not, not bribe, not bribe. No one said bribe. No one, no one said bribe. Bribe was not a word that was thrown out. It's not one I agreed to. But a thousand dollars in cash in an envelope would work great. I am uh, amazed that this movie Twister is the thing that you are most well known for. 
Uh, that, do you sing Oklahoma in that? Do you sing Oklahoma in the movie Twister? Honestly, I don't I haven't remember. seen the movie Twister, I, so I don't I'm know. I'm trying to remember yeah, which I talk one about, you are. You know, my friend Brendan Goggins tells me, man, I love your work, but Twister's one of the rare ones I have not seen with Interesting. you in. Interesting. And yet, it's the one that people most associate it's you with. It's the one, you know? <laughs> According to this one People Magazine poll of Twitter and Facebook users. I mean, the most, I mean, I I, I blacked it out. I mean, the most I could do is, Oklahoma, where I, I, it's, it's gone. I mean, it's just fucking gone. It's fucking gone. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I guess that's just a mystery for the ages then. Uh, let's go back over to Richard Kipling for just a moment. Yeehaw. So, uh, you spent a good amount of time living in Vermont, raising your children and writing. You eventually moved back to England in 1896 because American sentiment has turned negative towards British people. Is that right? Uh, more specifically, American sentiment has gone sour towards British people who are constantly like, this is mine. This is trying to colonize yeah, this, America. Yeah, fuck you, by the way. <laughs> okay, so could have had it. Any British person coming to America might have been fine, but Americans were getting really upset at, at British people showing up with two guns. Specifically, me, Richard Kipling, <laughs> and uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, of course. Right. Yeah. Any other uh, British authors that were showing uh, up with guns around this time? Darwin. Darwin. <laughs> I'm. I think that works. I think that tracks. Yeah, I yeah. think it does. Um, okay. So, what was going on where you were starting to see that set? Like, were people harassing you? Were 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 people telling you to go back to where you came from? Uh, how was this manifesting in your day to day life that you were like, hold on a second, I think that America might have soured mm. on us us British people. Well, every time I try to go to the grocery store, mm. and I'd say. Uh, everybody get on the fucking ground. It's a bloody robbery then. We're taking <laughs> my tea back. And they'd say, no, no, no. And they'd walk very slowly over to me, take the guns. Mm -hmm. Again, put them up so hard, I can't climb. Jesus. Oh, it's my one thing. I don't want to call out what seems obvious to Jared and I, but for the folks at home, how tall are you? Oh, I'm I'm seven foot five. Yeah, Seven how are they taking these guns away? You're so tall. My arms are so long. <laughs> I'm like the opposite of a T-Rex. That my yep. guns are hanging so low. Okay. I got it. There's like a whole series of levers and pulleys to get them up to where they're shooting. You got a ratatouille situation up on that head of hair of yours. I fucking wish then, don't I? Additionally, though, you are so tall and your arms are so long that you should be able to reach guns in any high location that people could put them on. You would think, but it's um. You um, would think. You would think. As, as I mentioned, it's about climbing then, isn't it? And I can't, I don't have any sort of muscle strength. But you don't have to climb because you're very tall and you have big arms. Wait, what? Oh, no, I could have had those guns so early. Well, you're figuring, are you figuring out this out now? I'm figuring out right You're thinking that you air. had to be on, you had to climb up to the place that the guns were to pick them up? It's polite. <laughs> All right. I'm over here looking like Slender Man. I could have had my. I could have you really could have had your guns yeah, back. We could be living in England too right now. We could <sighs> be living in the English colonies. Oh, I fully botched it. You really did. Yeah. yeah, you fucked it up. Oh beans. Oh Richard Kipling. Oh cookies. Oh messed up. <laughs> uh, all right, so people were reacting negatively to the fact that you were 
constantly trying to hold up the grocery store with your two guns. Your post office. You're like a weird, gangly, uh, a white. Like, you ever seen Pulp Fiction? Uh, yes. It's it's kind of like that with the diner, mm. except it's just me, no Amanda Plummer, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm waving my huge wiggly arms about like a like a fucking uh, you know car dealership guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I'm constantly foiled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that, I said, you know, back to back to bloody London for me. If, then, if they're not going to let me rob their various establishments and they're going to keep on taking my guns away, it's back to merry old England for me. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. on my good luck ship, okay. and I head out. Pretty ironic for any Tea Party people out there that we took your guns away and then you went back to England. Yeah, maybe if we took guns away from people in America, they would go back to England. Hey, yeah. why don't you think about that? You know what, guys? I think we may have just solved guns. We've in this established country. a very strong pattern. I think we have just solved guns. Yeah. This yeah. is it. We take the guns, they go back to England. Everybody that's left doesn't even want guns, right? Yeah. No, not over there. That's it. That's oh, it. I'm going to step out of the studio with we, my freak body. We ruin England, but we save America. I, honestly, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Guys, yeah. are you with me on this? Uh, fine. <laughs> This is, yeah, it's incredible. I'm really excited about this. As soon as we leave here, let's go solve guns. Yeah, sounds like a plan. In America. All right, we are quickly running out of time, though. So let's talk one last time to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a production of Othello that you did in 2009. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You played Iago. You know, it's so crazy. Wait, I'm sorry. I saw this. Oh, oh you, you saw did? it? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. I want to hear you describe it. I cannot wait to hear because I read on the Wikipedia that it was uh, like a futuristic production of Othello. Is that what yeah, you remember? Yeah, it was a trip. It was a trip. Is it you remember? I'm leaving this all to Philip. Okay, Philip. <laughs> So right. I know that. Yeah, I mean, my buddy Brendan Goggin says he wish he saw this. Uh, if the uh, I know that a lot of Shakespeare productions will do reimaginings, reinterpretations. They'll be like, oh, this is, uh, you know, for better or for worse. Yes. That was a, a Shakespeare play, right? For better or for worse? Uh, no, no, that wasn't. No, <laughs> but it sounds like it could be. <laughs> it really it might as well be. Uh, we're doing it. Two Gentlemen of Verona, but we're doing it in the 1920s. All right. right? So this is the production of Othello that's taking place in the future. Yeah. How did this manifest exactly? What was how did how did they communicate this device during the production? This is a this is Othello taking place in the future. You're a future Iago. What was going on? Yeah. Well, I mean, for anyone familiar with Othello, Iago is in the front chunk of the play is a bit of a stage hawk. He talks quite a bit. Yes, he does. Uh, and then he kind of shifts away once the machinations he's worked on have done. Mm. So uh, what we did is. Uh, I still did all my lines as Iago, but at the end of each line of iambic pentameter, I said space. <laughs> Can you give us a little taste of that? Could you give us just a, a sous Oh, uh, yeah, see, uh, uh, the Shakespeare bit. I've memorized, I'm a little rusty on my mm-hmm. Othello. Uh, but beware that more space. And the loved Desdemona, space, 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 space. I'm going to break them up. Oh, a lot of space in there. So would you just sort of like add spaces if they're... Like, well, the like a lot of we had to leave a lot of grammatical space before every word space. Interesting. Wow. I mean, does that... That's... We also had a Alien yeah. with 10 dicks. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was Cassio. That was Cassio, yeah. Cassio was the alien with, with 10 dicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because there's that line in the play about how seven of them were implied, so three things. were visible. They, made, they were low swinging. Too. Your your daughter is out with uh, Othello making the beast with two backs, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Cassio is the alien with ten dicks. 
This is what you yeah, saw. Yeah, this is all. This all tracks. The play was 18 hours long because of how many. Of how often they said space, but it did help remind us where we were in, in time and, of course, space in the future. Interesting. You know, I think a lot of times in Shakespeare, the subtext gets lost. Mm -hmm. So we really hammered home that this was in the future. Gotcha. I thought maybe you just have like ray guns or lightsabers. I mean, we had those too, but like okay. we didn't want to leave anything subtle in this version. So literally, in between every other line I had, I would say. I'm the bad guy because Iago Ooh. is often considered the mm. antagonist. Interesting. I can't believe this production was panned by critics. It sounds engaging. It sounds very, it sounds futuristic. You know? you know, it was very engaging. And honestly, I, I wonder what Kipling thought of the our, our production. Yeah, what'd you think, Rudy? Both and in, in whatever capacity you remember it. I feel, well, you know, of course. Uh, <laughs> who can say if I've been changed for the better? But because I saw future Raffaello, I've been changed for good. For good. <laughs> that is the perfect note to end this week's episode of Famous Dead People. I would like to thank my guests, Richard Kipling and Philip Seymour Hoffman, for joining me in the studio today. Last question. Do either of you have any uh, comedy shows or comedians or funny Twitter accounts that you're really big fans of that you want to tell people about? Uh, Richard Kipling, anything you want to tell people about? Of course. Let's talk about uh, a person who we roasted earlier and uh, Dominic Russo. Big uh, fan of him, by the that's way. That's fine. Be very a, clear. No, I love it. I think it's actually good that that happens. Uh, uh, you can follow him on Instagram at DFR247. Uh, and you can uh, see him uh, all over, but also uh, at the tank at the Armory Sketch Team Above Ground Pool. Their first show is September 4th. Uh, check that out. And also at his customer service job. Uh, and uh, Richard Kipling I think, uh, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, anything you want to tell people about? Well, I mentioned my friend Brendan Goggin several times. And uh, I'm dead, so I don't have anything I'm working on. But uh, Brendan's uh, doing his uh, uh, magnet team sketched and improv teams thousand foot whale claw every wednesday and returning this fall now on a new night sundays is his sketch team newport check those things out uh you can check out all my stuff at jaredbarrenstein.com i got a lot of new uh stand-up dates on the calendar subscribe to the podcast if you were listening to this on the air uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. I got videos coming out every Tuesday. Hit us up at Famous Dead People at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oi! I'm from bloody England, then, aren't I? I could have swore you were from Minnesota. <laughs> There's no fucking way of knowing, then. I'm from the Midwest. Two-man Capote. It's Truman Capote. It's Truman Capote. I think he had kind of... I mean, it got a little more nasally yeah. up in there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Stanley, everyone's always so mad at me. <laughs> I mean, all I did was yeah. make heroes out of popular murderers. I think it's um, um, surprising myself by how good I am at this point. <laughs> it's also very fun to do. We're burning gold here. <laughs>